power of Castle Hate Skull, I am Hella Mark Harley. And you are somebody who's looking at me on a video thinking, why is he wearing sunglasses inside? Because I felt like it. Because I think these are cool and I often forget to wear them in my real life. So I said, I'm going to bring them in. We're going to start out the podcast like that. I'm going to take them off. But yes, future Sabrite. So here we are today on the Michael Jordan episode as Casey, the most handsome producer on the internet. When it comes to podcasts, let's qualify that. He said, we're on the Michael Jordan episode. Another line I'm stealing from him, but... Is it stealing if I give him credit? I'd like to think that. I'm just saying, hey, dude, he's the brains behind this operation here, okay? He's coming up with the jokes. He's making analogies for what episode is what, and today we're on the MJ episode, episode 23. Haters thought we couldn't make it, but here we are. Almost to six months worth of podcasts. Isn't Whoa. that incredible? Whoa, right? Yeah, 26, if I'm doing my math right, 52 is a whole year. It's so not bad, guys. A lot of pe people actually were saying quite a bit. This podcast isn't going to make it till Christmas. Like the the initial haters were, you know, this will last th this many weeks. And I'd be like, hey, hey, it's Christmas. What? Uh, <laughs> remember when you said that? Take ownership of it. Radical responsibility. Uh, we have made it this far. And some people are even saying it gets better. I don't know. I don't have a sense of these things because I'm watching myself hypercritically. And then at some point, I go, oh, maybe it's not that bad. I finish an episode and I go, my God, I'm terrible at this. But then... Maybe I'll listen to it a week later and be like, maybe I'm not so terrible at this. But people in this last episode seemingly enjoyed it. And I do get a lot of comments like, you're getting better. And I don't know if you mean that or not, but it, it feels good at least. And if that's your honest opinion, thank you. And I hope if you're watching and I'm getting worse at this, you can also feel free to tell me that because I want to know. If you're writing in the comments to tell me how much I suck, but also claiming to not watch the podcast, well, I won. Okay, so just to start off, this episode is something that's fresh on my mind because uh, it touches on so many interesting things. I met Akash Singh, Akash Singh, with uh, three A's, A and then K and then a double A, from the Flagrant 2 podcast. He came in to do Fighter and the Kid, and I wanted to make sure uh, that I came in and met him and... and told him to his face that he's a piece of shit. Just kidding. I wanted to tell him to his face <laughs> that I really liked his special. Um, hopefully I don't get this wrong. It's called Bring Back Apu. Are you, have you seen it, Casey? I haven't seen it yet, but okay. I'm aware of it, yeah. You've heard of it. Yeah. A lot of chatter online. Big time chatter. Big time online. chatter. Just, mm. uh, it is a really good special. It's like 20 minutes, so it's focused. It's uh, you know, it's it's focused around this, not the entire thing is about Apu, but I would say that the themes that I took away from it, the message that I got, there you go, yeah, bring back Apu, a comedy special, 20 minutes long, great editing, nice and tight, the dude's really smart and a great joke writer, and I love this contrarian perspective that he has about specifically privilege in America. That's a touchy topic for a lot of people. Um, and it often gets reduced to a sort of binary, right? There's male privilege, there's white male privilege. So obviously, I'm on, you know, the, uh, the receiving end of, of a lot of those accusations, either directly or generally people saying this, and I always feel uncomfortable pushing back, like, you know, as a white male, like, I don't have that much privilege. Like, you know, you feel defensive about it if somebody is criticizing you or, or trying to say that your accomplishments and where you're at in life not that I'm like, you know, some <laughs> super successful billionaire. 
But it's, you know, you could look at anything I've ever done and be like, well, it's because you're white and because you're a man. And, and people have told me that before. And I always just feel odd actually defending myself because it's like if you're talking with somebody who believes that, what's the likelihood that they're going to be open-minded to this, right? The messenger <laughs> in this case isn't great because uh, you kind of come off as whiny or defensive. However, when somebody else brings this conversation to the table and somebody who is a quote-unquote person of color, I hate that term, but that's a term, you know, used by a large portion of the population to describe a non-white person, um, but Akash is an Indian who, you know, one of the themes that he's exploring in this is the idea of being a victim of oppression in America because he will also say at the front of this special, you know, of course I believe in systemic racism and, and black people in America have been systematically oppressed over the course of centuries. Um, you know, that's something I feel like I haven't heard a lot of great arguments against and we can take that for granted. But then when you go into, okay, how does privilege apply to other things? Um, you know, both in this country and in the world, he's sort of arguing like, we got it pretty good because Indians do actually, they're, they're a very successful minority in America. Um, he's, you know, he's looking around going, all my, you know, the people who come from uh, Indian backgrounds are doctors, lawyers, entrepreneurs. And um, I like that attitude of like, there's nothing to complain about for me, right? Um, <laughs> he's, uh, and also it opens up another conversation. I think Jordan Peterson and again, not that I agree with everything he says, but he's a fascinating guy to me. And another guy that I like look, you know, at as like, oh, you have a lot of hate. And I even when I first found out about Jordan Peterson, I had friends who were like, you know, oh, I can't believe he, you're like listening to this guy or entertaining any sort of ideas from a guy who's like obviously a closet white supremacist or whatever angle this is of attack. I'm like, I don't really see that in like what he says though. Cause I've listened to <laughs> several hours. I'm talking that doesn't come across to me. But anyway, one of the things that he said is like white privilege exists, male privilege exists, but every different individual and different categories of people have different forms of privilege, you know, like a pretty girl. If you're a super attractive woman, you tell me you don't have some of the most potent privilege in the world, um, and uh, the similar argument here, you know, that you're privileged compared to something else, an Indian is privileged compared, in America, compared to somebody who's uh, back in India living in poverty. So, this makes it sound like his whole special is super serious, but he's got great jokes. <laughs> and he's got a great point about, uh, you know, why, why Apu isn't racist. He's living the American dream. He's married to a beautiful brown woman. He's got kids. He's, uh, he owns his own business and sells overpriced goods to unwitting white people, I think is the line. So check it out if you hadn't. I guarantee you'll like it. And he's a cool, smart dude, and I'm glad I talked to him. So I had another discussion with somebody that intersects these two things in my world, acting and personal training. A friend of mine, Liam Johnson, who actually does apparently listen to the podcast, we'll put that to the test. We're going to see if he actually listens to this and uh, recognizes the fact that I'm talking about him because I'm using his name. So we had a wide-ranging conversation because he's getting into personal training. A couple things that uh, you know I had that were takeaways from this conversation were the notion of 
where your heart is when you want to work and help people as a trainer. I think if you're getting, like there is a lot of money to be made in fitness, but I love when you meet people and they're getting into it for the right reasons because you became enthusiastic about this and then you want to share that enthusiasm with other people and you enjoy helping people wherever they're at in their lives and in their fitness journey get a little bit better. And I think he was somewhat perhaps self-conscious about starting training because he only recently sort of really got into fitness himself, had played sports growing up, but like, you know, wasn't so much like a weight room guy. It's like I bailed hay all summer in Oregon 12 hours a day and that physically prepared me for, uh, you know, playing football. Cool. Uh, and then nowadays he's getting into actually like learning how to do everything properly. And so we've been in discussion over the past, let's say, year He's updated me on what he's been getting into, but you know, it's always interesting to see like the difference between people will often brag like, Oh, I've been, well, I've been working it out for 10 years. doesn't matter. You could be working out for 10, 20, 30, 40 years and still have no idea what you're doing because you're ignorant and you're stuck in your ways. And that's why we see all these people, you know, I'll put these videos up of people who are in the gym, just doing every single exercise wrong. It makes the, you know, funny gym fails, uh, it's driven by people who are doing something wrong. Typically they're older and typically they're, you know, so they, I'm sure they could have been working out and doing the same exact shit for decades, but, uh, you can learn a lot in six months. You can learn a lot in a year. You can become proficient in two years. And it's also, you know, I got certified as a 23 year old as a certified strength and conditioning specialist with the NSCA. Um, what I know now that makes me much more confident as a trainer is just my ability to get through to people and understand like what that person needs. Because at first you're like, oh, I have this information and I need to come across as a professional and I need to tell them this and be authoritative at all times. And you know, you have this idea that like, if you don't have all the answers for everything, or if you don't come like already ready to prescribe somebody the exact thing that they need, then uh, you're not a good trainer. And over time you realize it's okay to admit when you don't know what you're talking about. It's okay to admit that, hey, that's a question I can't answer. And it's okay to not have all the answers up front until you collect more information, get a sense of that person, both how they can be motivated and what the first step is, you know, from taking them where they're at now and uh, assessing their goals and just making those incremental steps. And to me, like so many things, it requires emotional intelligence and understanding of different personalities. And uh, those are things that you develop over time. You develop those people skills and empathy and insight into the human condition that I think, you know, it makes it a little bit hard when you're in your early 20s, at least for me. I felt like, yeah, I, I knew a lot about training, but... Uh, the ability to work with adults and just and be confident about like, I know this is what you need. That comes, and if you have that already, if you have insight into the human condition and you like helping people, you know, you're already on a great path to uh, being a good trainer. And uh, again, that as opposed to people who get in like, I could make a lot of money at this and I'm, you know, hot or have a really good body or have some marketing gimmick and I'm in it to make money. That's still one of the most disgusting things that I think we see in fitness is people who, and it's okay to make money, but who prioritize that, who mislead people, who prey on the insecurities and naivete of uh, people who are just getting into fitness to start off their journey. 
I hate that shit. Okay? Cut it out. All right. I also wanted to say his girlfriend, Kat, is dealing with some mysterious issues with regards to her health, like leg numbness. And um, I'll take for granted sometimes that I can go in, like my shoulder injury. At least I know what it is. You know, at least I get, can get imaging and have it, uh, an actual answer versus Kat has spent the last few days in the hospital, hours and hours and hours and going back and forth. And you can talk to a neurologist and a specialist. And, you know, it seems like they've talked to like many, many people who are trying to do blood work and scans and this and that and come up empty handed. And I just can't imagine how frustrating that would be, you know, to just both be feeling like absolute shit to the point where I can't even get out of bed because my legs are numb. And then also to not have an answer as to what it is or when it's going to go away. So another thing to be grateful for is even just having answers. Yes, I have injuries. Yes, I have pain, but at least I know what they are for the most part. Okay. All right. Let's take a little break from all the incredibly interesting things that I'm telling you in the podcast to once again, talk about Kratom, my new favorite thing. And I'm being honest here. I started taking it uh, last week before the podcast. And I got to say, very impressed with the results. I've continued to experiment with different forms of it. Um, this morning, I had some of the powder uh, that happy hippo sells and I mixed it in like a tea and put some honey and lemon in there. Delicious. Love the effect. Took one teaspoon of the powder, uh, mixed it up. It kind of tastes like matcha actually, but again, very impressed with the results and I've been reading more and more about it. We're going to do a deep dive on Kratom very soon. I promise. But in the meantime, I'm going to report on my personal experience, which, uh, I'll say this. It has this unique combination of Firing up my brain and feeling like I'm stimulated without veering on these sort of anxiety-ridden side effects that you can have from too much caffeine or other stimulant consumption. Uh, and there's some science at play there that I just started reading about, but we'll get into more next week. But suffice it to say, it's an interesting effect that I enjoy, and specifically when it comes to things like writing the outline for the podcast or um, coming up with ideas, sitting you know, in a chair and relying on my brain to do work for me, which I don't always do, but <laughs> to write this, uh, you know, the outline for the podcast I do, it's, it's really incredible. And to know that it's been around for hundreds of years and uh, that so many people swear by it for different reasons, but for me personally, I've been able to use it like this. I even use it as a pre-workout. feels good. And I'm very picky about pre-workout stuff because some feelings I don't really like, but I do enjoy this as both, you know, a, a, a nootropic for mental activities, but also something that makes me feel good using my body in a physical capacity. So I urge you to try it. Be safe. Experiment with low doses on yourself and tell me what you think. I'm really impressed by the stuff. And again, the Happy Hippo brand is one that you can trust because it's a wild west out there. This is what CBD used to be, and it's hard to regulate and get the highest quality products, but I can assure you Happy Hippo has the best ingredients, and that's really what's important is, is that getting that actual quality leaf, uh, which Happy Hippo has, and I can attest to. So visit happyhippoherbals.com and use promo code THICKBOY with three Cs for 20% off for life. You can keep coming back and ordering and ordering and ordering, and I genuinely hope this is something that you try and does something positive for you. Let me know. What? What's, can we do a Liver King meme of the week? Let's break up this serious stuff. 
So we got a picture here. This is the Liver King posing with a gun. I don't know guns. Is that a what? Do you know what it is? Chris, Chris is coming to Andy right now. Uh, that looks like a Smith & Wesson, I think. Okay. An M4. You said an M4? Yeah, I could be. Okay. Yeah, I could be wrong. It could be an M4. I also feel like I'm going to kiss Casey being this close to him. So. <laughs> so. Maybe we get you your Regardless. Own and he's also got more guns, it looks like, in the show. This is just like, to me, it's like, tough guy with a gun and a camo shirt in front of a truck, right? Yeah, yeah. Looks good. Can, Looks I can buff. I confirm that that's what it is. <laughs> and I like the caption of it because I like how he, you know, he's, he's portraying his lifestyle, but it's also he's got to get his message in, right? And I think he's really good at this master market over here. There's a simple reason that so many of us lack purpose in life. We've stripped ourselves of the most primal purpose known to man. That is guarding the perimeter against danger to protect one's tribe. We've stripped, oh, okay. Thousands of years ago, Danger meant lions, hyenas, and other tribes. To be certain, danger still exists. It merely shows itself in different ways. Excessive social media use, <gasps> toxic people, <gasps> processed foods, <gasps> the list goes on. So long as you let it. You don't need a gun to reclaim ownership over your life, your role, the purpose you feel you've lost. You just need some goddamn courage, Primal. So, adopt the nine ancestral tenets, lead from the front, and dominate! He is good. I don't know if he's writing these captions, but it's like, you got me. You know, you brought it back around. And that's what I always, I try to do similar things when I post, like have some sort of misleading, you know, it's like have something in there that's fun to read the caption. It feels like a payoff, right? And this guy, you know, was like, seems to me like he took a cool picture of the gun. And it's like, how can I relate this to my ancestral tenants? Yeah, well, I mean... For years, whenever people ask me my purpose, my answer is, it's always the perimeter. <laughs> I mean, so I get what he's saying. I get where he's yeah. coming from. Yeah, the perimeter, bro. The, the perimeter. Guard, guarding That's, the perimeter. Yeah. God. I would be the worst guard. I would just be like falling asleep, fucking on my phone. Just like, what? Like, or whatever that was, you know, in ancient times. I'd be distracted by it. Um, tablets, looking at your tablet. Yeah, looking at my actual tablet. In stone. So I thought that was a funny little post because, again, it's all—it's like this masculine signaling. And also, may, I'm going to bring up Vladimir Putin in a second, too, because of the war, you know, you, Russia and Ukraine are going at it. But it just gave me this flash of, you know, like the theatrical masculinity, I guess would be one way to put it, yeah. you know? And I participate in that, like by having big muscles as part of like theatrical masculinity, I get it. It's just, I'm not particularly into guns, but I would feel very self-conscious about being like, cool pick of me with a gun. And then also a serious caption. But hey, that's why we love you, Liver King. Okay, uh, and we got a meme of the week from him. I always try to have an actual post to root this in like, no, he is this person and I derive entertainment just from going to his page and I hope you do too. But also, oh, love this meme format where, you know, it's the guy in the party up against a wall and, and we see his thoughts. So he's saying the liver king's up against a wall with a big guy, uh, with shirtless, of course, red chested, looking swole and very not natty and uh, ostensibly a liver in his hand and he's saying, these people aren't dancing like our ancestors. Then the other people in the party, which we usually don't get a glimpse into their minds in the typical meme format, they're saying things like, what's that smell? Deodorant is a recent invention. Why is he so red? I don't know, but he keeps asking me for the basic stuff. Uh, good meme, solid meme. Love to see people pimp out those classic formats. 
Now, of course, I'm going to bless you with the Mark Harley meme of the week. As promised last week, Daniel Rabone bringing it on home. <laughs> this picture came in so giant. <laughs> uh, it's my hair on Trump. I just, you know, my hair looks good on a lot of people. Like Donald Trump sort of looks like an evil magician or something with my hair, doesn't he? Um, you know, some Eastern European count or something. I don't know. Maybe that's what I look like. And it's like, no, no, Mark, that's, that's what you look like, an evil magician. Uh, more so than Donald Trump. Stop projecting, as they say. You know, and that's another important thing, too, to me, because last week I did Biden. This week I did Trump. I don't want anybody to think that I'm not going to give equal airtime to different political viewpoints, okay? Bipartisanship is important, or less so than bipartisanship, is just giving consideration, right? Because you can be bipartisan and still, you know, not have any desire to seek out the truth. That's one of these logical fallacies that I, I think is very common where people go like, you know, you look at two sides and the truth is in the middle. Well, not always, right? So just because politicians are working together doesn't mean it's good. <laughs> but <laughs> in this case, uh, you know, I have a lot of friends who are Trump supporters, a lot of friends who are Biden supporters or were at some point and the one thing that I recognize from everyone is that there are good people and dicks on both sides. Um, so before you judge anybody for their political views, I think this is a lesson that I wish I would have learned earlier in life is hold something higher than someone's political beliefs. Hold something like their character, who they are, how they treat other people's, uh, <laughs> other peoples of the world's. Hold that above somebody's political views because you'll often find that you may discredit somebody or dismiss them because they have differing political views. And it turns out they're a totally great human and you're associating with somebody else and maybe you connected over, you know, uh, your political views, but they're actually a total piece of shit. So that's, uh, you know, probably an anomaly if it actually happens that you find like, oh, I agree with you on everything politically. And then you're actually a sociopath. Maybe that person wasn't being sincere to begin with, but I dislike the idea of seeing past these ideological differences. I think that's the key to saving humanity. And, you know, eventually we're going to have to accept our political views from China. So, you know, keep an open mind uh, next 20 years or so. All right. Let me get a little meme, Mark Harley meme. Hella Shark Harley from Henry Matas. It's some, what is that? Some sort of like cartoon shark from, is this a show that it looks like Ninja Turtles or something like that? But it looks like a cartoon I've seen before. And it's just a shark with like this 80s rocker hair. You're also wearing the same shirt. We, oh, my God. We are wearing the same shirt. He's got a Kino clothing. Long sleeve, pocket tee, use code HELLA10 at checkout for 10% off. You're going to like the way you look. So, because of, of the, we're going to make this whole podcast about the Liver King, I think, is what's really going on. Remember I said last week, uh, this guy Mike Benoit was like, uh, you know, actually, he's natty because I know him. He responded, and we're keeping it respectful uh, for the most part, I know I can veer towards being a dick when I get frustrated or think people are naive, but I'm going to try not to do that. He responded to the last video and said, Mike Benoit here, sorry, didn't get a notification of the response, man. Absolutely, I would love to have a chat with you anytime. So it might happen. I might actually talk to Mike and get, <laughs> it's like a behind the liver. Yeah, I knew, I knew Liver King growing up. Uh, you're right, I have not randomly P-tested the man because last week I said, the only real way to get an idea or narrow down the, the possibility of him being natural is have you randomly drug tested the guy over the course of years, right? 
Of course not. That's unfeasible. That's why I said it. It's a rhetorical trap to be like, oh, you must have this impossible information or access to this uh, impossible uh, set of information that uh, obviously you don't. So that's my way of conversationally TKOing people. As Chris D'Elia says, you're right. I've not randomly P-tested the man, but I have been to his home in Willis several times, delivered several units to his home and interacted with his family and staff. I first met Brian Johnson around 2017. I would say when he came into our showroom in Conroe, Texas, my former employer. You're absolutely right. He could be lying to my face, but I trust the man at his word. I've had meals with my family and his at his home, and we've had several dealings involved, involving tens of thousands of dollars, and the man has never, ever faltered in his word. And that's actually really cool to hear, like, you know, because sure, I'm making fun of this guy, but he is a person, and I, I like to hear that at least with regards to his ethics on business dealings, which I do think is very important, you know, and, and says a lot about you as a person, um, that he sticks to his word and apparently he's a really great guy and that's, that's impressive in this day and age. He even has cell phone and internet signal blockers in his house because he thinks it interferes with your cellular system somehow. Definitely cuckoo bananas there, but I don't, he says that. Definitely cuckoo bananas. So actually, this guy's talking more shit about Liver King than I am right now. But I'm not going to go as far as say, I don't, you know, does it? I don't know because I'm not a scientist. I've never looked into it. Uh, I come from a lineage, like I don't think it causes cancer, obviously, but, you know, uh, there could be other smaller disadvantages to having a cell phone on you all the time. I come from a lineage of aluminum siding salesmen. I love that sentence. A lineage of aluminum sliding, uh, <laughs> lineage of aluminum siding salesmen. And I've been in the sales game for almost 20 years now. I like to say I developed an art for spotting a con man or bullshit artist pretty well. And you probably do. That's another thing, right? With sales, like training, there's so much interpersonal intelligence that this is dependent on uh, that I have no doubt you have very advanced social skills and a very advanced ability to read other people. Either way, either he's got me hook, line, and sinker, either uh, where we truly are looking at a one-of-a-kind, one-off weirdo. Couple things to say here. First of all, Casey, let me get your reaction to that. <laughs> When you when you hear all that, did you like? I just think it's there's two two separate things. You can be an ethical business person and still take steroids. I, I, I great point. Yeah, great point. And that's what I was going to touch on too. Is um, it's an interesting conflation. And while that makes me like the Liver King more, like it makes me go, oh, he's a cool guy. Like I'm, you know, it, it affirms what you kind of suspect. Like he doesn't look like a bad guy, but that's also one thing that we've coupled in modern society and something that I've had to mentally detach from and try to convince others. And uh, I hope that we get to a point where we move away from this idea that steroids make you a bad person, yeah. right? Because that's essentially what he's, he's defending the accusation that, you know, if you're taking steroids and not being totally forthright about it, then that in and of itself makes you a bad person. Now, I do have some ethical issues with that. If he's on steroids, obviously, and selling you this product that's predicated on his uh, fantastic physique and lying, it's not ideal. But at the same time, there are so many disincentives for people these days to talk about their steroid use, right? The most obvious ones being like The Rock. If, like what, it doesn't benefit him in any single way. It only would be taking jobs away from him and other people, you know. So a guy like him or John Cena or whatever, it just, at, at this time in history, 
it's you can't freely talk about it with no consequences. I feel like personally he could, and therefore I do judge him in that sense because he could be open about a cycling back. And in conjunction with this, it makes you know the detrimental health effects of steroids less so because you're going to be so health. You know there are things obviously you can take to mitigate the side effects of steroids uh, as far as you know, harming your organs. So maybe eating organ meat would be one of those things. I'd like to, you know, and it'd be cool because you could prove it. Be like, oh, before I started eating meat and I was on steroids, my blood work and health looked like this. And then it improved taking the same shit. But again, conflating the two things that, you know, steroids make you a bad person or that uh, because I've seen him in person, he seems like a good guy. He sticks to his word in business dealings. That means that he's honest in 100% of the time. You know, I try to be honest in, in my life, but at the same time, omitting, like, I don't feel like I owe anybody absolute transparent honesty at all times. It's ridiculous. Um, so, you know, he could just consider that something that nobody needs to know. That's his own private business. But it's an interesting little insight because people would say the same thing about like Michael Hearn or different guys who are sort of like famously like deniers of steroid use and the guys who will come out and be like Mike's a good guy and it's like I, I don't give a shit <laughs> you know um, that's not the question and it is just very difficult to, at the end of the day to prove whether or not somebody is so we speculate but it's like can I prove it of course not but you can't prove he's natural and access to that information would be impossible to get and the information doesn't exist unless he's been testing himself for years or keeping some log. Um, so again, it's always speculation, but just keep that in mind when you think somebody is on steroids, like, well, you don't know. Um, and don't use it to be a hater. Speaking of which, hater of the week, first of all, we had some runners up. There There must have been like, this is the same thing that I touched on last week with the with the whiskey in the bush. Like, Guys are coming to my page by the dozens, if not hundreds, to leave like lion and bush emojis, like which, eh, you know, like I get it as a form of harassment, you know, like putting a snake emoji on Taylor Swift, whatever that was, you know, like using bombarding people with emojis is sort of a standard Internet thing. It's not like it offends me. It's just like, oh, there's a lot of you, aren't there? But I do this funny thing where I'll. I won't block the person who leaves a comment, but then I'll see who likes that comment and then block like 50 people from that just in part because they don't know. They're like, why did he block me? Like, it's like so petty, you know, that it's unexpected. But then I won't like block the person actually leaving that. And this one guy, I, f I forget his name. I could look it up right now, but he's like. He's done it like four days in a row where he just leaves the same thing. And it's like, like saying, Mark, whiskey, but spelling it with a G, you know? Uh, Mark, whiskey. And I don't block guys like that because part of me is just like, how long do you want to keep this up? <laughs> Are you going to come to my page every day and you don't follow me, so you have to type in my name manually to come to my page and say, uh, you know, type out emojis to harass me, right? Um, so that's, but like literally hundreds, I'm like, oh, you know, like the cult thing I said last week, it's like, oh, you can't, you can't think of your own joke, can you? And again, I'd give you credit if these things were clever, but it always just, it's funny and sort of refreshing because you're like, oh, that's, that's the ceiling. Like you all got to use the hive mind to come up with emojis. Great tactic. And then this guy just saw, this is the actual hater of the week. Brad Camilo 
comments, LOL, this is under my last episode, LOL, dude looks like a pile of poop from the 70s. So gross. Barfing emoji. Thick between the ears, too. What I like about that is it's like just basically a doo-doo joke. It's like, you look like doo-doo. The fact that it's from the 70s, I'm like, actually, that is kind of accurate because if it's like, if the poop turns white and part of it's brown, like that could look like my hair, I guess, but I don't want to uh, assume that he's inferring that and give him too much credit because he does sound like a low IQ individual. The thick between the ears comment too I love because guys will come on and just be like, you're stupid or like your podcast sucks. And I'm like, you know, you could write whatever you want. Like you could, you could criticize something specifically and I'd have to respond to it. But when someone's just like, you're an idiot, you're thick with three C's. Wait, right? so you're saying back to, if we could circle back to the poop. Uh, <laughs> to the what? To the poop oh, from yeah. the 70s. If you're yeah. saying it's the poop from the 70s, but today? I guess so, right? Because it's like, what is this, vintage poop? Like back then it was like the look of or poop is has it, changed? Yeah, the poop uh, like is it of in that time 70s? In, in the, at the current. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's a good question. That's a good uh, rhetorical question there. I think he means some shit that was dropped initially. It was fresh in the 1970s. So it's now. We are talking yeah. now. The so poop we're talking about poop that has fossilized, I guess, or, or whatever the appropriate word would be. So it was, you know, I haven't heard that before. Would that qualify? Like poop from the 70s. It sounds like he just randomly threw it on. It's like, you look like shit from another decade. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> But, you know, keep comments like this coming. If I get a bunch of positive comments and comments like, you suck, you poop. It's like, well, if you need a better demonstration of the intellectual capacity of my haters, I'm not sure one exists. We have Mr. Poopy Pants here. Okay. Do I have anything else for that? Nope, 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 nope. But I also just, you know, when I do get a bunch of mass haters like that, I get to click on like all their like profiles like, I'm not saying I have, uh, you know, everyone's a basement dwelling loser. But, you know, you can have a job. You can have different things going on. But what you don't see is a lot of, like, Ivy League graduates, you know, or, like, male models or people who live in major cities and seem to have, like, a, you know, a C-suite job or something like that um, or even a big following. So it's always, like, zero to a few hundred followers, private profile, uh, guys often in their early 20s, I've found, because I think it's something you sort of grow up out of, you know? Um, but you'll see people like one guy's like harassing me and it's like, uh, oh, lives in rural Georgia, balding white dude in his twenties and his wife is 300 pounds. Okay, cool. Um, got it. Not saying that's everybody, but you see some patterns emerge and the patterns aren't impressive. You know what? I want to get into a hella sick fitness page, squat university. This is going to be, uh, something I probably come back to. This is, I'm just going to do a brief one. I've talked to this guy in a podcast before somebody else invited me on to have to talk to this guy in zoom. He is so knowledgeable, um, about squatting, but so many things, right. And he's just like this wellspring of information. Rarely do I go to a page and feel like every single post I learn something new, um, about, you know, the mechanics of squatting and, uh, you know, powerlifting or Olympic lifting, uh, the muscles involved, how to fix injuries, uh, how to, 
uh, even mindset stuff, like your approach to, you know, like the philosophical conundrums of like, would you rather be able to do like 600 with uh, pounds on a squat with less than ideal form or 500 with perfect form? And that brings up this debate, you know, over like, what is perfect form? And that's a deep one because it, it, there is so much nuance and variance from person to person and active debate about different things and different um, things that aren't true even, you know, like oh, the knees over toe thing, right? But, but, but people have these persistent ideas about what is good form and what isn't. I feel like if you just visit this page, squat underscore university, literally every single post is something that is informative, like uh, fixing the hip shift, uh, the other day he posted something about does weightlifting stunt growth? That's a really interesting question to me. And of course it doesn't, but it's a very persistent myth. And so, uh, you know, but it's not always easy just to, if somebody believes that to be like, no, it's not true. Show them something here where they give examples uh, of kids weightlifting who grew up to be full height. And there's just no science obviously on stunting growth from weightlifting outside of if you actually injure your growth plate, sure, you'll get fucked. But uh, outside of that, nope, nope, nope. Okay. Christian, we must have injured our growth plates. <laughs> Nothing. Exactly. Okay, I'm going to do a Hella Chef Harley real quick. I've been making this meal a lot. I got some butcher box salmon. And this is one of those things where, like, I kind of, if I didn't meal prep or something, I'm putting these four simple ingredients together. This is salmon from butcher box. I take two of the pieces, usually equals about eight ounces of salmon, but I can cook that in a pan. Uh, with these vegetables I got from Costco. These are probably my favorite vegetables I've gotten from Costco. Pura, pura, pura vida, pura vida. Fire roasted vegetable melange. What is a melange? I don't know, but it sounds fancy. They could have said medley, but they went with melange. Let's have a vegetable melange et toi. A mix of Brussels sprouts, mushrooms, red onions, red and yellow peppers, tossed in extra virgin olive oil, sea salt, and cracked black peppercorns. Oh, so there is a little flavor, but yeah, they... Like you can microwave them and they kind of taste like roasted vegetables. So it's a step up, right, than your standard corn and peas and diced carrots frozen vegetables. This is luxury shit and I want you to try it out. So I put two cups worth of those veggies in the pan and cover it as the salmon's cooking. I put in a BB Go rice cup into the microwave. It takes 90 seconds to make. The salmon probably takes like five to 10 minutes to cook and you can cook it straight from being frozen right out of the freezer. And I add the secret ingredient, which is something I picked up a few weeks ago at Costco, Kogi Korean barbecue sauce. Kogi's a place, it's a food truck in LA that makes these Korean barbecue burritos of which I've once ate six in one sitting. Don't ever doubt me. I did it on a dare and it was delicious. And this meal with the rice is gonna be about 800 calories, 62 grams of protein. Um, around 80 grams of carbs. So usually I like to keep that, you know, a little bit lower than the protein, but this is something if I haven't eaten, you know, a lot of carbs in the day, this will be a nice, big, high protein filling meal with the vegetables. It's great. And the barbecue sauce really ties the room together. <laughs> big Lebowski. There we go. You got it instantly. It ties the room together. Okay. So I also wanted to do a bro science Academy today and talk about maxing out because this is something that comes up, you know, for me, for others, Isaiah was just talking about how he maxed out on a deadlift the other day and he hurt his back. And, you know, I've 
as I've gone heavier and heavier and tried to go for max lifts, like I'm not saying that they'll happen directly as a result of that max lift, but sometimes, uh, you know, the pain that I'm in now and, and it's beyond just my shoulder, I have like lower back and hip issues that have flared up over the past year as I've gotten heavier and heavier in the deadlift. And it all leads me to give this general recommendation that maxing out is not necessary. Young men seem to be obsessed with it. And even older men, my client, Paul, um, suggested maxing out the other day, I think, or going up to a weight where I'm like, if you want to do that, we you kind of have there's a separate approach to doing it where you want to do it because sometimes people are like oh I hit a set of five on this weight and like went to failure I'm feeling really strong you know like oh I, I could only do three and I like let's max out it's like no you wasted that opportunity uh, it, you're no longer fresh you know you just went to failure on a heavy set of five you're diminished and compromised so that's one thing to get rid of is this idea of like I feel strong let's go for a max in the middle of a workout ah, you know probably not going to work out in your favor. Secondly, is there a purpose to it? Are you a power lifter? Are you uh, an Olympic lifter? Is there some element uh, of competition that you're engaging in wherein a single rep max of any sort of lift will uh, you know, be part of the competition and worth therefore practicing? If not, why not go for a heavy triple or something and calculate your one rep max from that? because you can pretty accurately do that and just keep going up in that three rep max. But for most sports, it's unnecessary. And most of the time, it's just your ego going, I wanna hit three plates, you know, or I wanna squat five plates or whatever it is. Um, and I think in general, we just, maxing out is a skill in and of itself. To be able to safely recruit the maximum amount of force on a given compound lift without injuring yourself is a skill in and of itself, knowing how to warm up properly, knowing how to gauge the amount of weight based on how the previous single that you did felt, it can take years and years of learning to actually do that. So I just wouldn't do it willy-nilly. I don't think there's any reason to do that. You can beat yourself and improve and measure your improvement in so many other ways. So and I get it, like, you know, guys are competitive, women are competitive, whatever, but I just know certain personality types, like, I wanna know, I wanna max out, I wanna, you know, somebody did this and I'm gonna beat them. You don't need to. And there might be some serious consequences. We're gonna go back to A. This is why we can't have nice gyms. Is this a serious episode? I think it is. So, This is the first, this is why we can't have nice gyms where I'm actually upset at, at watching this video. Upset, disgusted, I'll go into why. Warning, graphic content. Woman crushed to death while trying to squat 400 pounds inside gym in Mexico. If you don't like the way that sounds, I wouldn't watch. There's nothing too gruesome about it, but you can see clearly in the security cam footage, she goes under a bar that's on a Smith machine loaded with four plates. There's some guy who maybe was actually using it, a large guy on the side. Nobody's spotting her. There's people standing around her. She goes to unrack it and squat it and feels that Obviously, that's way too much weight for her. Like, it looked like somebody, like, dared her. She's like, oh, I want to try to see how that feels. There's a bench underneath her that, in theory, would have been for, like, a bench or box squat type of movement so that her butt would be able to sit there. And you'd think that would make it more safe. Turns out, if you get under that weight and you feel how heavy it is, and she made a calculation to uh, try to exit the Smith machine quickly by, like, backing out of it. 
but the weight fell so quickly that it caught her neck on the actual bench and seemingly broke her, her neck. Um, I saw that and I was just like, that is so fucking stupid. Like, Nobody was spotting her. Nobody was warning her like, dude, this is way too much weight for you to handle. Uh, you know, there's no way that you can do one rep of 405. Even on a Smith machine, you know, it's just stupid to even attempt it. This is not, you know, a fun little cute game to be like, oh, how weak am I? Let me see. Let me put all the weights on here. And it's an extension of something that I always see in the gym. I've told many stories about how people like use weights that are inappropriate for them. Like, could you help me put the 120s on my shoulder and you're, you know, you're 6'1 and weigh 130 pounds and are doing some like weird quarter squat movement. Well, even with these heavy dumbbells, you can drop those on your foot. You know, you can, uh, they can cause you to fall over and hit something else. If you can't control a weight, you shouldn't be using it. Uh, or you should take such extreme precautions. Like I used to do lockouts and bench press. I do it in a power cage, you know, a weight that I couldn't do for a full rep, but there were safety precautions in place to make sure that, uh, you know, it would be impossible for me to harm myself. You also have to learn how to bail weights. You know, if you're failing on a squat, I don't need a rack there because I know how to throw it off my back. It's a kind of counterintuitive maybe, um, because when something's you, you know, usually fail because the weight's coming forward too much. And so you have to like counteract that instinct by throwing it backwards. But there are so many things wrong in this video. It pisses me off because it's, it's an extension of all these things we see all the time and make fun of people using too much weight on the leg press. You know, what if your leg slipped off and, and the weight crushes you, you're on a bench press. You see a lot of people like dropping the bar out of their hands. And if that's a weight that's too much for you and there's clips on, you know, it could easily crush you um, in the neck, you know, or damage your chest. There's just so much potential for injury in the gym when you're using weights that you can't handle. And that's kind of at the heart of all this stuff that I, you know, we post about um, these gym fails is like people doing shit with, with weights they can't handle. In this case, somebody actually died. And I also feel bad like mocking this person because I remember when my dad died, they put a picture of him. He was overweight, but he got back into like swimming shape. It's just like when you're 50 or 60 and you have, you know, the sort of like fat in your midsection that like, I don't know, it calcifies or whatever. It's a sign of diabetes. You don't look great, but he was able to swim like several miles. He died doing an open water swim for charity. And I remember they posted his obituary in the newspaper, like an article about his death in this, in this swim and people were like commenting negatively, like in the comment section to the effect of, well, he looked like he was about to die anyway, or he looked like he was obese and like, and it was like so appalling to me. I'm like, this fucking person just died and here you are mocking them. Of course, it's my dad and that's why you take personal offense to it when I don't think they mean it personally, but <laughs> it just reminded me of like, I feel bad for that person's family because they're probably dealing with like, people making fun of her and, uh, you know, going up oh, this idiot. And there were several idiots present, but you know, I, I feel terrible for the family and I hope it's a lesson to all of you. Don't use weights. You can't handle, or I'm going to come manhandle you. All right. What else we got? How smart books or whatevs? I want to start bringing in books. Okay, guys, my little book club here. This one I thought of because of what's going on with Russia and Ukraine, okay? Context, I'll always bring up context and understanding. To understand what's going on right now at the moment, obviously Russia is trying to annex certain uh, territories 
of Ukraine and to consider them, you know, autonomous regions that can then align with Russia and basically become Russian territories. This is my loose understanding, right? But I always think about how to analyze something that's happening as a current event in the news. You always need more context, like who is Putin? What is Russia? One of the books that even as a politics major, you know, who took classes that involved looking at, at Russia and, um, you know, what the Soviet economy and, and, and uh, post-Soviet economy looked like, things didn't quite click until I read this book called Red Notice. I'll read it out, the description out real quick and then go into my takeaways from it. This is a story about an accidental activist. Bill Browder started out his adult life as the Wall Street maverick whose instincts led him to Russia just after the breakup of the Soviet Union where he made his fortune. Along the way, he exposed corruption and when he did, he barely escaped with his life. His Russian lawyer, Sergei Magnitsky, wasn't so lucky. He ended up in jail where he was tortured to death. That changed Browder forever. He saw the murderous heart of the Putin regime and has spent the last half decade on a campaign to expose it. Because of that, he became Putin's number one enemy, especially after Browder succeeded in having a law passed in the United States, the Magnitsky Act, that punishes a list of Russians implicated in the lawyer's murder. Putin famously retaliated with a law that bans Americans from adopting Russian orphans. A financial caper, a crime thriller, and a political crusade. Red Notice is the story of one man taking on uh, overpowering odds to change the world, and also the story of how, without intending to, he found meaning in his life. Okay, yes. Does that book appeal to you? I don't know if it does or not, but it's a fantastic read as sort of a thriller in and of itself, but also gives you this insight into both uh, the post-Soviet economy and how these handful of people became billionaires because basically like everybody got a slice of the Russian economy after the, the collapse of communism, right? You get this piece of paper that was worth like in real terms, like a potato or something, like if you were to sell it on the street, but it was a legitimate share, uh, you know, it'd be like handing, you know, a homeless person a stock. It's like, what do you want me to do with this? So if you could buy those from people like, you know, but if, okay, if I gave a homeless person a meal and then they'll give me their share of the Russian economy, if you can do that enough, you can buy 20,000 or 30,000 or a, a million shares of the Russian economy. All of a sudden you have ownership in something that's uh, currently underpriced by, you know, on the order of hundred or, or a thousand, uh, you know, percent. And by figuring this out when there wasn't the internet and there wasn't these tools to sort of easily translate things, you know, from Russian into English. Everybody thought he was crazy, but he went over to Russia and like aggregated all these shares of the Russian economy with this understanding of what was actually going on as they, as they moved to capitalism. And, and the guys who became these, you know, handful of oligarchs in Russia basically just did that really well. If you had money and you were able to seize the opportunity and buy like, you know, 30% of the Russian economy, um, at you know, a tremendous markdown, well then guess what? The moment the, the economy starts to grow, you're a billionaire. Um, so he gets in like that, but then as uh, he becomes more successful, he becomes a target of the Putin regime. And there's this interesting saying that, that he repeats, like, you know, I'm gonna butcher the actual language or translation, but there's a, you know, an idiom, a saying in Russian that's, uh, you know, this guy like finds a genie, you know, rubs him out of the bottle and the guy, the genie's like, I'll give you one wish, but whatever I grant you, your neighbor is going to get twice, right? So like if, if you ask for a Ferrari, he's going to get two Ferraris, for example. 
the guy thinks about it and goes, hmm, whatever I want, my neighbor will get twice. Poke out one of my eyes <laughs> so that his neighbor can have both eyes poked out because apparently in Russia, there's sort of an ethos of like, I'm cool as long as we're doing all the same. And maybe that's a, a holdover from, you know, the communist era mentality. But I don't want to see anybody doing better than me and certainly not a person from another country. So by uh, accruing all this financial success um, with his investments in, uh, you know, Russian, the Russian economy and the oil and gas industries, et cetera, he pissed some, some people off. And so they started to fuck with him, like deflate his shares in companies. You know, I don't I forget what it was like, but it's obviously like illegal and totally unfair and just like absolute like if you, you know, it couldn't happen in America. That's like somebody rewriting the laws about, you know, what ownership means in a state owned organization in order to uh, take money away from you. But it, what what I saw from this book was Putin can do anything he wants and. You will justify it bureaucratically, kind of like they're doing right now. Um, like the chief, the spy chief or something had some slip up at a press conference where he, he said part of the plan out loud where he's like, and we accept this notion, this motion to become part of the Russian Federation. And Putin's like, shh, no, that's, not, <laughs> that's next week. You know, right now we're just working on autonomy. Um, and, you know, in order to consolidate power, what Putin did was he broke one of these oligarch billionaires uh, by doing like a show trial, made up some charges, show trial. And all of a sudden, you know, he's in a cage in front of the whole country, uh, you know, on trial for a crime he didn't commit. And he went from an oligarch billionaire who crossed Putin in, you know, perhaps a trivial way to being thrown in jail for the rest of his life. And then Putin looks to the other guys and goes, like, does anybody else want to play ball? Anybody else want to try to challenge me? Because um, I'll do the exact same thing to you. So we see that here. And I guess if he, if he gives an order, right? It's going to go down the bureaucratic chain and everybody's going to justify it and make it look like a legitimate trial and, you know, file all the right paperwork. And that's a relic of the Soviet era is we're doing everything right. It's just there's no concept of actual individual liberty or rule of law, just the appearance of that sometimes, right? Because of the bureaucratic instruments they have. So like all the paperwork's going to be filed. It's just like, you know, completely false charges. So seeing that and understanding like, oh, yes. Russia is this kleptocracy. There is no rule of law. There is no individual freedom. And therefore, you cannot succeed in that country uh, without the most powerful people looking at you and going, hey, we want some of that. You know, it's run like a mafia state. Uh, and I think that's interesting to think about in terms of what he's doing with Ukraine, <laughs> because I think he treats the region around him like a, like a mafia captain, you know. Hey, it's a nice country you got there. Be a shame if I were to annex it, right? Something like that. Okay. Do I have any more stuff? I don't know, dude. It's like, you know, I get to the end of the thing and like everybody's super interested in this red notice stuff. It's just like, whoa, Mark, you're so, you majored in politics. That's crazy, dude. It's amazing. Like, wow, what, what's next, dude? I don't know. You're going to have to watch and find out because I don't know what I'm going to do week to week. I have so many books that I've read. It's just, I could probably do a different book each week for the next 15 weeks. And still, you know, not even be done with the amount of books that I've read over the course of my life. 20, who knows, maybe 25. We're going to do each one of them starting with Red Notice today. So it's your homework assignment to go read that goddamn book and understand what's going on in the world for the first time in your life. All right.
And Vladimir Putin, huh? You want some of this? You want some of this, Putin? I didn't think so, dude. Yeah, who's the alpha male of the world now, huh? Yeah, fucking like that? You like that? I'll see you on the judo mat, bro.